0: Welcome to the Wirecard Saga, a podcast with Tom Fox and Mikhail Ryder-Gordon, Managing Director of Institutional Ethics and Integrity at Affiliated Monitors. Over this podcast series, we're going to take a deep dive into the Wirecard Saga to see where it may take us literally across the globe, where I'm joined by Mikhail Ryder-Gordon as we continue our exploration of all things Wirecard. Today, we take up... Germany, Inc., how the regulators failed Wirecard, they failed the public, they failed stockholders, shareholders, and literally everyone else. It's a fascinating exploration of what happens when the regulators become the firemen in Fahrenheit 451. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Mikhail Ryder-Gordon for our continuing series on the Wirecard Saga. Uh, We are taking a deep dive into the current events of Wirecard as they arise and also some of the issues that we see in this case. So, Mikhail, first of all, welcome back.
1: Thank you. Absolute pleasure to be back with you, Tom.
0: So, on our last episode, we were able to take a deep dive into short sellers. Uh, Today, we're going to consider what I call Germany, Inc. But before we do that, uh, why don't we give the listeners a sort of wrap-up of what happened this (laughs) week. And we're recording this. Uh, on the afternoon of Friday, July 31st. So, Mikhail, what did you see that stroked your interest this week?
1: Oh, golly, Wirecard just keeps on giving. This is true crime at its best. No let-up in revelations involving Germany's biggest corporate fraud in nearly a century. So, recall, last week we left off with the arrest and detention of three of Wirecard's top executives, CEO Marcus Braun, CFO Burkhard ley head of accounting Stefan von Erfa. Remember, former head of Dubai-based Wirecard subsidiary card systems, Oliver Bellenhaus, had turned state's evidence. COO uh, Jan Marsalek having fled and taken refuge in Moscow. Now it's emerging Marsalek's uh, likely asset of Russian intelligence. And losses have gone up. France 24 broke this one. Uh, So this is a significant revelation in that in addition to the non-existent 1.9 billion euros in cash that was discovered uh, during the KPMG audit, Munich prosecutors have now quietly admitted that an additional 3.2 billion euros in loans from banks and other investors has, quote, vanished. It isn't that the loans weren't real. They were. But now the money has Quote, very likely gone. Oh my. So we're looking at what, six billion dollars of fraud and abuse and really Schopenhauer's uh, negative view that everything in life proclaims that earthy, earthly happiness is destined to be frustrated or recognized as an illusion may have some apt German illustration here. Recall last week we discussed at a high level Wirecard's decade plus nexus to numerous money laundering investigations and prosecutions in several jurisdictions. This week information emerged that Mastercard and Visa had fired uh, find Wirecard several times for the company's unfortunate habit of handling questionable transactions. What constitutes questionable? Well, for one allowing high levels of stolen credit card purchases to proceed. And remember, Wirecard is a processor, so for our listeners catching up, that's an entity that functions between merchants and consumers and between merchants and banks. They're facilitating that transfer of money between the parties. Processors can be licensed by Visa, MasterCard, other card companies to manage these transactions for them. Wirecard makes its money or made its money from taking a small cut of that transaction. If they process a transaction made with a stolen credit card, they still get their cut, but it's the card company and the merchant who are left eating the losses when the charge is reported as having come from a purloined card. Now, Wirecard's business model was heavily focused on online transactions, and these in and of them themselves, they can pose a pretty high risk because they're not, they are what are considered card-not-present purchases. That is, the cardholder's not standing in front of the merchant with that physical card, so the likelihood of stolen credit cards being involved rises significantly. Well, Wirecard also had a high level of chargebacks or reverse transactions. Those can occur when a consumer returns something they've purchased, canceled a transaction, contested a transaction. But they didn't stop there. The company also had been repeatedly caught processing online gambling transactions by intentionally miscoding them so that the banks would not decline them. Banks and jurisdictions were online gaming is illegal, such as the U.S., automatically decline such transactions when they're coded as such, right? Certain prohibited activities, verboten, to use a German word. Um, So all that to say, MasterCard made public this week that they had fined Wirecard 11 million pounds in 2008, and that's no small change for a processor for intentionally rerouting gambling transactions through miscoding that banks had previously declined. In other words, the bank kicked it back. Wirecard just gave it a new code and pushed the transaction back through. Uh, In 2010, MasterCard scolded Wirecard again for continuing to engage in this practice. Visa admitted they'd fined Wirecard $12 million in 2009 for high chargebacks and demanded that the company cease immediately processing transactions for merchants of porn sites, gambling, and what we euphemistically call nutraceuticals. Again, these are all activities with high levels of stolen cards employed and uh, with high chargebacks. So what came of the fines? Turns out, not much. In fact, as recently as 2017, it comes out, Wirecard was still processing for at least online porn sites, and some of these merchants were paying 10% in transaction fees. Now, to understand the standards, usually like 2 to 3% is typically what, what a merchant will pay. So everybody involved knew what was going on and allowed this to continue. Not surprisingly, MasterCard tells us now that they in 2016, they went and warned law enforcement of Wirecard's links to an alleged money laundering network. It has further emerged this week that FBME Bank in Cyprus, well, they got blacklisted by FinCEN a couple of years ago. Because of being blacklisted, they conducted an internal investigation and discovered evidence of a link between Wirecard, who was handling their payment processing, and a MasterCard executives were involved in laundering for terrorist financing and organized crime. Like, holy dirty money, Batman. So, listeners, next week we are diving deep into the cesspool of Wirecard's laundering activities, so suit up. What else came out this week? Austrian prosecutors admitted that they have launched a criminal investigation into Braun. Now, that's been driven by a claim that Braun had taken a personal $135 million loan to purchase 2.5 million shares of, of Wirecard stock to shore up its share price after the KPMG forensic audit was made public. And of course, it just wouldn't be a Wirecard week without some new disclosures involving Marsalik, right? <laughs> a couple of days ago, Interpol, at the request of Germany, issued a red notice to Russia seeking Marsalik's extradition. Given the US's usual response to Russian instigated red notices, I don't know that we can anticipate Moscow cheerfully handing young Master Marsalik over to any European authority- authorities anytime soon. But an Italian law enforcement official involved in a Europol-led investigation into Wirecard has been quoted as saying that there is strong evidence that Wirecard was clearly linked to Russian-based actors above and beyond Marsalek. So, in addition to Marsalek having had not just close ties to Russian government officials, it appears now, according to this same official, that Marsalek was tied to organized crime. Back to what we just mentioned, right? And a Dutch law enforcement official also involved in that Europol investigation agrees, yeah, Marsalik, Russian asset theory, spot on. Now, all evidence suggests that Marsalik not only held multiple Austrian passports, but passports with several not fully identified countries as yet. And that raises some interesting questions regarding both what nationalities he may be asserting and any rights for asylum or protection and what those passport-issuing countries may have to say about their so-called citizen. For instance, I was noticing on a Wirecard Turkey public filing from 2018, a passport number and address for Marsalik. It was published as part of a company mandatory filing. The passport number has a, a U at the beginning of the official number. Now, typically, a U denotes a handwritten Philippines passport, likely issued Prior to 2015, before they moved to machine readable uh, numbers. So, we've already got that nexus between the Philippines and Marsalik. And for those of you who failed to note, take notes last episode. The Philippine Anti Money Laundering Authority is currently investigating no fewer than 57 people and entities of interest. And of course, this was also the country where Marsalik bribed at least two Philippine immigration officers to make it appear he transited through that country when he was really busy making his way to the Russian motherland. So that leaves us with, hmm, more questions than answers? Possibly, but things are starting to tie together from a lot of disparate jurisdictions. Finally this week, we have the German parliamentary hearings grilling Vice Chancellor Olaf Scholz, German finance minister who has oversight of German financial regulator Boffin, and Economy Minister Peter Altmaier. And we're going to discuss the results of that hearing as we explore Germany, Inc.
0: So, Mikhail, all I can suggest is wherever Ken Lay is today, he's saying, see, I told you there are people out there worse than me. However, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Skilling, who is still on uh, terra firma, is saying, why didn't I think of that? Um <laughs> And I'm just upset that, of course, we're going to lose Enron as perhaps one of the greatest accounting frauds ever. This, this uh,
1: They are looking a little eclipsed at the moment, aren't they?
0: They certainly are. Uh, and we Texans oh. don't we don't want to lose our, our numero uno status. But that really brings us to the topic I wanted to explore today. And I've given this a lot of thought over the years. Uh, Dick Casson actually wrote about it this week on the FCPA blog. And that's Germany Inc. And uh, Germany obviously is a key player in the European project, the European Union, uh, a massive economic force on the continent, I think the fourth or fifth largest economy on a worldwide basis. But the regulatory response to this has been perhaps less than uh, fulsome. So maybe we could start with, where do you see Germany fitting into the global economy?
1: Uh, Well, it is helpful um, if if we think about where they fit. Fourth largest economy in the world behind the U.S., China, and Japan. Recent OECD numbers show 470 German companies listed on the stock exchange. To put that in context, the world average in 2019, based on maybe 63 countries, is 490 companies. So they're actually a little bit lower than average, but Germany is home to 29 of the Fortune Global 500. And EU figures from 2019 evidence that uh, German small-medium enterprises generated more than 54% of the overall economic value to the country. And outside of the financial business economy, employs more than 60% of all Germans. So they're a global player, and yet there's a strong streak of provincial or regionalism embedded in the business culture. Now, proportionally, it does appear to host an outsized number of corporate fraud scandals that might be expected, um, a little more than might be expected, given the pool of its listed companies. So I do think there's a growing consensus that externally and even within Germany, there's some deep flaws in the structure of the regulatory environment, the attitude of its regulators, um, you know, where we saw here, again, demonstrated that they're inclined to blame, you know, investigative journalists who uncover corporate financial scandals um, or short sellers, as we discussed last week, um, and that possibly the corporate governance structures, which, which place a heavy emphasis on labor and employee unions, um, you know, maybe, maybe this is to uh, their detriment. And the current government shares some real culpability here with respect to Wirecard.
0: What are some examples that come to mind of uh, major frauds by U.S. companies? We've certainly had corruption, obviously the Volkswagen scandal, but uh, what are some of the ones that come to your mind?
1: Oh, gosh. The, it's such a long list. Um, you know, we're almost obligated to start with Siemens, right, embroiled in a multinational corruption scandal that I can tell Odebrecht was the largest of its kind ever. It took over a decade to investigate and clean up. Um Full disclosure: I was I was associated I was on the team that that worked on that. At the time the scandal came to light, Uh, Linda Thompson, director at the SEC at the time, described their pattern of bribery in the company as unprecedented in scale and geographic reach. Right, 1.4 billion in bribes to government officials on you know three Asia, Africa, Europe, Middle East, um, the Americas, 4,000 bribes in total. Uh, dating back to the 90s, and oddly, or maybe not, Big Four KPMG was the auditor who missed the tens of millions of bribes and bribe payments in the second set of books. Um, and and really, I think that's important to think about the Siemens scandal because this corruption scheme was designed to increase share price and gain market share, and it was based on tax and legal loopholes. Um, I remember at the time um, – German law allowed, uh, under its tax code, bribes to be deducted as, as, as business expenses. I think there's a little bit of mindset that still lingers here uh, in, in Germany. Uh, you know, Recall that at least one member of Siemens' uh, managing board, the Barstand, uh, personally arranged bribes to government officials. And that was despite the fact that Germany had signed on to the OECD convention uh, in 1999 and and they continue that um, they continue the bribery scheme, and really it doesn't bring um, it doesn't bring regulators to the door. Um, well, the NL scandal in Italy uh, is the first inkling and additional payments being questioned by auditors, 2004. But German prosecutors they don't arrive at Siemens till 2006. And then don't forget Siemens was also involved in the oil for food kickback scheme. Um, so. Remember, that was um, where they were inflating prices of some of the UN-approved contracts by about 10% to funnel cash payments to Iraqi government officials through third-party intermediaries. Overlapping with Siemens, I mean, 2005, banner year for German corporate scandals, really. Um, It's like something was in the water. Uh, BMW, Daimler, Chrysler, and Volkswagen all caught up uh, in scandals. The country's fourth largest bank, uh, Commerce Bank, caught up in a scandal, uh, Europe's largest chip producer, Infineon, uh, and five of German's leading firms, all members of the DAX uh, 30, Blue Chip Index, all embroiled in corruption scandals, right? We had Commerce Bank. They were covering up money laundering for a Russian telecoms company. Uh, one of their board members has to uh, quit. And uh, five Im- Current or well, at the time, current or former employees were implicated. At Daimler Chrysler, the head of Mercedes distribution uh, is sacked for using the company to build a, a home for his girlfriend in Majorca. BMW, their purchasing manor, manager had paid uh, 100,000 in bribes to suppliers. Uh, Infineon, the executive directors forced out over a decade-plus-long kickback scheme uh, that sees him. Uh, Earning like 250,000 euros plus for setting up uh, contracts uh, for motorsports uh, sponsorship. And on the heels of that scandal, Infineon is caught up by German and US regulators for price fixing. Um, I mean, all of that is 2005 alone. Uh, you know, if you move forward through the years, well, as you mentioned, Dieselgate and VW, right? But many people won't remember that VW was also caught up in a bribery scandal involving contract kickbacks, paying for council members – that's their council, their governing council – their hookers, uh, gifts for spouses, uh, maybe to compensate for the fact they were paying for hookers, uh, I don't know, luxury trips and so on. Um, They had given seats to politicians on their supervisory board. Uh, Three-level high executives and the head of the, count, uh, head of the company's works council lost their jobs over that scandal. 2011, German telecom uh, communications firm Deutsche Telekom and Volkswagen, again, investigated on suspicion of corruption relating to uh, sponsorship contracts for the soccer team. Uh, this is football team uh, VFL wolfsburg uh, telecom executives, you know, extending sponsorship agreements of the team if the team's owner would agree to surface con- surface contracts worth uh, several hundred million euros. Uh, then we had uh, German banker Gerhard Gabrowski, right? He gets arrested 2011 for his role in corruption, tax fraud, and bribery uh, involving the F1 and Bernie Ecclestone uh, dodgy dealings. And then, of course, we can't forget Deutsche Bank, Uh, Its 15-year run racking up a myriad of violations, money laundering, circumventing sanctions on Iran, its role in the LIBOR scandal, dodgy loans to Russian kleptocrats, highly risky derivative packages that fall apart. Um, And and all of the Deutsche Bank uh, is captured beautifully, I will say, and disturbingly uh, by David Enrich in his recent book, uh, Dark Towers. And then, of course, what we see just the other week, Deutsche Bank paying another round of fines. What for? This time for their role in uh, banking Jeffrey Epstein's accounts that paid for underage girls and sex trafficking. Um, and you know, recently, in a sort of rather disturbing move, uh, Deutsche Bank had just hired a former exec from Wirecard uh, to, wait for this, run Deutsche's merchant payment solutions pillar. In other words, merchant-to-customer payment processing, just like Wirecard. And we may think that's the extent of German corporate scandals, but we're not done. Der Spiegel, in 2018, reported on anti-competitive collusion spanning a decade by Germany's five largest automobile manufacturers. In 2019, several scandals come to light ahead of the Wirecard collapse – right? We saw two German institutions, a top-flight soccer club, which is TSV 1860 Munich. you got to be a football fan here. Um, it helps. And the nation's railway company Deutsche Bahn, all making unwanted headlines for bribery and contract irregularities. Anybody see a theme here? Uh, we also watched as um, buyers' failure to conduct adequate due diligence and acquisition of Monsanto come back to bite it via the Roundup weed killer litigation. And that, That decision was driven by Bayer's workers and bosses in order to help protect it from takeover, which would have threatened jobs. And we'll discuss why that mindset is a weakness in just a minute. And then uh, let us not forget, probably by every measure, what is turning out to be the largest tax fraud in history, not only in Germany, but in many other European countries, And that's the COMEX trading scandal, which involves illicit tax refunds, which at this juncture looks like it may have cost the German state billions of euros, estimations ranging from 12 billion to 30 billion. Uh, German authorities are still investigating that um, tax-driven share transactions that took place. Uh, around the dividend record date um, executed by banks between 2001 and 2011 trading on their own accounts or on behalf of third parties um, and that ran that ran for almost 20 years so Germany Inc uh yeah this is this is the same country that uh, frequently accuses southern European countries of being endemically corrupt right something about Rocks and, rocks and glass houses come to mind here. Um, scandals really roll up. Uh, country's most fonded automotive industry, largest engineering firm, largest bank, and now its largest fintech company,
0: Wirecard. So, Mikhail, uh, Dick Casson, in his blog post suggested that it was both a provincial attitude, and you alluded to that a little bit earlier that causes these scandals, and that provincial attitude is, is lax oversight by regulators for German companies. Would, uh, would you attribute part of the reason to that, or is there some other reason for where all this corporate malfeasance may be coming from? I think there are a couple of
1: factors that contribute to this um, insularity of German business a certain pride in German companies that perhaps doesn't want to know or acknowledge sharp business practices that may be the catalyst for these companies' outsized successes. Uh, we saw this with Deutsche Bank. You know, The German press was largely silent in the face of very troubling and well-supported accusations. Outside of a handful of smaller publishers, German investors and German media didn't speak up, and we saw that with Wirecard. Uh, as with other German corporate scandals, we see a sort of protection instinct kick in um, with a sort of us-against-outsider-Anglo-Saxon mentality. Um, politicians don't appear, appear to grasp the severity of the allegations that are being raised in public. Um, and then there's you know, a question, which is not novel. It has been raised repeatedly – as to the effectiveness of Germany's corporate uh, co-determination
0: laws. What are co-determination laws and what is the corporate structure around them? So this is a
1: system uh, wherein the supervisory board members who govern over the management board are comprised of at least half workers or labor representatives. So this is frequently union representatives, it's not the workers themselves but it gives them a seat at the table, at the corporate board. They can be elected to sit on these corporate boards. And and this rule applies to any company uh, with 2,000 or more employees. Uh, If if there are fewer employees, uh, then the workers get one-third of the board seats. And this two-tiered board structure sees shareholders and possibly some employees on the supervisory board, whilst the management board... Uh, directly runs the company. Now, the idea is that locally organized workers' representatives who sit on these company boards are going to somehow safeguard the rights of employees against poor management decisions. But critics contend that in such a system, the management always needs the labor representatives to support company policies. And that leads to this unhealthy alliance between the two boards. Uh, There's a tendency there to focus on Germany, and on, I mean, on unemployment tendency in Germany to focus on employment, are jobs safe, right? And again, what's a union uh, largely focused on, right? Retaining jobs. Uh, there's an assumption by both the supervisory boards, and and they have historically deferred to CEOs and management boards because typically those that hold those positions, um, CEO and manage those on the management board have higher educational degrees and regulators assume everyone knows what they're doing. So this mindset of protecting jobs due to union bosses sitting on advisory boards played a factor. For instance, we saw that in the VW diesel scandal rather than pivoting to electric vehicles. Instead, it sought to maintain status quo jobs via deceptive practices. Um, German corporate cultures evidence suspicion of criticism of their companies before, and and that plays into this this structure. Uh, you know, those asking difficult questions, particularly if they're foreign, uh, are viewed in in the words of one Delenka party member as quote trying to run down Germany. Um, and it's interesting. A, cu- a couple of years ago, uh, the EU's uh, Securities and Market Authority, ASMA conducted a regulatory enforcement review of seven member states. Germany was among those. And they recently declassified the report uh, because of Wirecard. And the report identified evidence of troubling lack of independence and conflict of interest, both within uh, FREP, which is, remember, we talked about that on our first episode, the private secure sector body that sort of is, was it, no longer um, Self-regulatory uh, regulator over German companies' financial uh, accounts, and, and the German government just severed its contract with FREP for failing uh, because of Wirecard. But we see this this fraught corporate structure that seems to spend more time worrying about what outsiders um, is it viewing outside uh, critics as as assaulting um, these companies, these German companies. And the two sides being desperate to keep the other side happy on these governance structures.
0: The um, on the heels of so many of these large scandals involving not only uh, incredibly high-valued German corporations but also DAX-listed, do you see a consistent response, or I should say, a response consistent? With what they have shown around Wirecard, or do you see something different this time? Uh,
1: it's consistent. Um, rather unfortunately, I mean, af- after literally years of denial in the face of allegations about Wirecard, and right, you know, for listeners, uh, go back to episodes one and two where we talk about the long history of um, in, investors and investigative reporters and others asking questions of, of prosecutions in other jurisdictions that linked back to Wirecard, years of denial and continued denial of any problem, even after KPMG uh, issued that forensic report. The head of Boffin, Felix Hofeld, uh, finally went on record the other day to say that this scandal is a, quote, complete disaster and a, quote, shame for Germany. And and Boffin has now installed a special representative in Wirecard Bank to monitor uh, that management team's uh, decisions, ensure compliance as this mess is unwound. Uh, It's also imposed a partial ban on payments from transferring certain assets to uh, its parent company. And interestingly... Uh, Some have mumbled under their breath that there was a little whiff of a cult of personality swirling around Marcus Braun, both from within Wirecard um, and with respect to German politicians and regulators. Um, This very German drama sort of reminds me of a description that uh, historian uh, Simon Winter gave of Wagner, Wagner's drama of excess, the, the Ring Cycle, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you know that is through amateurism explanation to um, was given to a megalomaniac dwarf on how to steal their gold. So there's a lot of political fallout,
0: and that political fallout, I have been fascinated, obviously with the German response but in the context of the broader European project we see or at least i've seen the EU uh, begin to take some steps that i've not seen them take around Germany before as you also alluded to perhaps countries in southern Europe or eastern Europe but here i'm seeing a little more forceful response from the EU can you do you, at this point can you assess what the EU may do, and could the EU actually force some lasting reforms?
1: Yeah, so ESMA has launched a fast track investigation into Germany's uh, failed supervision of Wirecard. And ESMA is responding uh, to European Commissioners, um, the European Commission's Executive VP, uh, Valdis Dombrovskis,' uh, call for an inquiry into how this even Happened? How was this allowed to happen? And ESMA has already produced a preliminary report evidencing weaknesses at both Boffin and FRAP. Their full report is due uh, end of October. Uh, But they haven't stopped there. The EU Commission is now examining how it regulates the finance industry and fintech and seeking to strengthen relevant EU laws, including possibly increasing its requirements on transparency for listed companies, uh, accounting norms, and its own ability to enforce against market abuses. So the commission's review of that, um, of, of current regulations and what could be amended, is anticipated to be published uh, at the end of the summer. Uh, but we, we should go back and look at what this is doing to um, the German political
0: scene. Well, the, um, if I could maybe stay a little bit uh, a little bit longer on the EU because uh, Angela Merkel, Prime Minister Merkel, I think is one of the leading proponents of an integrated EU economy. So I was wondering if this scandal will force her to perhaps open up the German regulatory scheme and German economy to a little bit broader scrutiny. Because of her desire to really move forward on the European project
1: yeah um and and we'll talk about um, why she's in this position now uh, it's not it's not purely uh, because of wire fraud in the sense that and and really the potential for political fallout can't be underestimated here so this this goes back um, to to uh, Schultz remember. Um, He is uh, the German finance minister, um, and he is also vice chancellor under Merkel. So, Schultz was considered the Social Democrats' candidate of choice as chancellor nominee for the forthcoming 2021 German election. And recall that SPD is part of Chancellor uh, Angela Merkel's Christian Democratic Union coalition that coalition is now under severe strain from the revelations emanating from the wirecard debacle, and has a lot to do with Schultz. And the repercussions will not only impact the current German administration under Merkel, but potentially European politics and economic recovery. Because if the CDU's coalition crumbles because of this, that could throw Germany into not only a political crisis, but given its leadership role, in the EU's COVID recovery effort, that could jeopardize some of those plans in a very significant way.
0: Well, then let's move directly into the uh, German political scene. and What do you see uh, the implications of that um, within the the German uh, political situation itself? Does this give the Greens or some other minority party perhaps uh, some sway to – Change the electoral scheme? Uh,
1: yes and no. I mean, we, there's, it, it literally is unfolding on a daily basis. So earlier this week, investors filed an action on behalf uh, – it's essentially a class action against Boffin, uh, alleging gross negligence of its duties and powers and saying that the regulator failed to properly police Wirecard, right, and prevent this um, uh, the manipulation of capital markets. And, and that that in and of itself is, is unu- highly unusual uh, in, in uh, the German market in, in the scheme of things. Now, technically speaking, remember, Boffin is only tasked with supervising the banking arm of Wirecard. Um, and, and it's claimed to date that in some respect its hands have been tied, that despite uh, it being Wirecard being a fintech company that processed payments, it was officially categorized as a technology company and not a financial services provider. But that doesn't fully explain what's really gone on. It's been revealed that Germany's deputy finance minister, uh, Jörg uh, Kirkes, and apologies if I've butchered his name held several private conversations with Marcus Braun in late 2019. Now, recall, FT's investigative reporting had come out at the beginning of 2019. We also had all of those short sellers. We had all of those regulatory actions. Even Boffin themselves have uh, raided Wirecard at the behest of uh, DOJ by now. All of this has happened The Bundestag's finance committee sought to learn the content of those conversations but were rebuffed under the excuse of secrecy protection interests as the information uh, includes material that, if released, could prove detrimental to the interests of Germany. Well, that has not played well with opposition parties. It's also, and this is of equal importance, has emerged that Schultz was aware that Wirecard was engaged in fraud as far back as February 2019. Boffin, who Schultz has oversight as, as uh, Ministry of Finan- Minister of Finance, that, that's who Boffin rolls up under, Boffin had informed Schultz of its suspicions of Wirecard's market man- manipulation and apparently claimed it would, quote, investigate in all directions – But then, as we have seen, nothing really happened in the intervening 18 months. And Schultz doesn't seem to have done much in that interim period himself. He never followed up. Then there's Angela Merkel. Der Spiegel broke the story that a former economy minister who worked in her administration but had turned lobbyist for Wirecard, awkward, Carl uh, Theodor Gutenberg had contacted his old buddies in the Chancellery's Finance Department, seeking quote flanking measures for Wirecard's forthcoming entry into China. And so Zu-Gutenberg had asked the department head at the Chancellery, Lars Hendrik Roller, hey, when Merkel is in China on official on an official visit in June of 2019. Can you lobby for Wirecard because Wirecard wants to take over this German-Chinese payment company, Allscore? So one of Merkel's senior aides is lobbying for Wirecard uh, for this this takeover of, of Allscore and more on Allscore later. Roller emails Gutenberg afterward confirming that the issue was raised with the Chinese government and promising further action. All of this, despite disclosures to Schultz and Boffin of significant irregularities. I mean, good Lord. So if we do a quick flick through the mental calendar, right, we realize, as did the press and opposition groups, that not only has the FT's big story broken six months prior to this, Schultz had been told of Boffin's concern over irregularities at Wirecard, But here's the chancellor's office lobbying the Chinese government to allow this German company to proceed with an acquisition. Now, Schultz, in the last few weeks, has attempted to rush out a reform agenda that would grant extensive investigative and enforcement powers to Boffin, including giving it oversight of non-banking financial institutions, right? That would have rolled up wirecarding included it in there. The proposal he p- has put forth is to grant Boffin, quote, sovereign powers, and the German Justice Ministry is backing proposals to at least increase penalties. At the moment, they're paltry f- €4 million. Euro. Germany's Parliamentary Financial Committee, which is comprised of a number of opposition parties as well as uh, the governing uh, coalition party members, held an extraordinary uh, hearing just two days ago, right? This Wednesday, July 29th. Their aim was to probe the financial and political establishment as to why the response to all of these warning signs was so circumspect. Schultz was interrogated for four hours, but German lawmakers who emerged from these hearings were not satisfied. Opposition parties across the political spectrum um, really voiced dissatisfaction and are discussing establishing an investigative committee. Now, the downside of establishing that committee is that the chairship of said committee rotates through all of the various uh, German political parties. And next up on the ROTA would be Germany's extreme right-wing party, and nobody else wants to see them chair this investigative committee. So that's left dangling. If such committee was convened, it would have subpoena powers, including seeking government documents to gain an understanding of who knew what when. Uh, So that remains to be seen if it will happen. One parliamentarian criticized Schultz for failing to provide, quote, coherent and conclusive answers. Uh, Another observed at these hearings that the presentations of facts by Schultz was illogical, and uh, certainly warranted further investigation. Quite a number of committee members, and that includes those from Schultz's own party, excoriated him for his lack of candor at these hearings. Uh, However, thus far, Schultz has refused to accept any portion of blame, saying that the finance ministry he heads handled Wirecard as, quote, prescribed by law, He's gone on to say that he thinks the current system has worked quite well, but that it is only in light of this scandal with Wirecard that he can now see they they could do with some additional competencies. We might call him a master of understatement here. The the Finance Committee, in response to this rather dismissive attitude by Schultz, uh, has issued an exhaustive list of 90 questions to the finance ministry as well as Schultz. Answers are due back August 10th, so we're, we're just over a week away from um, what those responses may, may tell us. Uh, and, and so we look at complete de- destabilization of the sort of Merkel's planned secession uh, through that 21 election Right, We are now, it may be, all up in the air.
0: Michael, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope that our listeners will join us again next week, where we will once again review the current events up until the time of the recording, but also begin to take a little bit deeper dive into money laundering, uh, the implications of Wirecard, and the international fight against this scourge. Uh, Mikhail, I look forward to continuing the conversation.
1: As do I. I mean, uh, a little paraphrase it may be heaven when the Germans are engineers, but it's hell when they're the police. Uh, So stay tuned. Tom, it is always a pleasure uh, to speak with you. Thank you, and to the Compliance Network. And uh, we'll pick up our saga on how Wirecard turns.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this special episode. As I said in the introduction, Mikhail, Ryder, Gordon, and myself are going to be taking a deep dive on the Wirecard case over the next several weeks. I hope you will join us again. This special podcast series will focus on the events on the ground and each week, and then we're going to take a deep dive. Some of the topics we're going to cover include Germany, Inc., the regulatory response, what this means for the overall fintech and EU regulatory world, and a variety of other interesting angles to the Wirecard case. I hope you will stick with us throughout this series. I know you will find it incredibly enjoyable as this is one of the largest frauds uh, since the Enron Worldcon days and the largest accounting fraud in Germany since World War II. It's going to be a ton of fun. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Please leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate that on iTunes. The series on Wirecard is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network.